God, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for mercy and ultimately for Jesus, for the gift of your love made flesh. Lord, as we gather, I pray that the work of your spirit continues in the lives of everyone here. That you're not going to leave us alone, God. That you would continue to, to move us and push us and pull us and, and sometimes even give us just a, a, a swift kick when we need it, Lord. But we want to surrender our lives to you. That more and more we would reflect who Jesus Christ is in this world. And so help us with that. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're working through Lent, and we're actually working through the lectionary and the scripture readings for Lent during this time of year, this time of personal or spiritual reflection and spiritual renewal. Now, the Bible begins with this book called Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, in the first chapter, God gets busy and he starts to create everything. And the book of Genesis is just an amazing story of people and God and God's interaction with his creation. And then there's this character in the book of Genesis. His name is Joseph. And Joseph, he was kind of a jerk. At first, his brothers didn't like him. He was all haughty and arrogant. He's like, you guys are going to bow down to me. And they're like, yeah, right. We're going to sell you into slavery. And so they kind of throw a a thumping on him and they sell him into slavery. And he goes to Egypt. And there he's, he spends some time as a a slave in this guy's house. And then he spends some time in jail. And then somehow, well, not somehow, through the power of God interacting in his life, he gets to be like the number two guy in Egypt. And he saves Egypt from from a, um, a famine. And during this time, he just grows in stature and he he gets reunited with his brothers. They're looking for food. And the end of the book of Genesis, he is reunited with his family. They come to Egypt to live with him. And Joseph grows old. But before he dies, he will tell his people, as they are increasing in number, that don't worry. God is going to move us from this land into the land that he swore on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the last chapter in the book of Genesis, it says that Joseph died at 110 years old. And then we move into the next book, which is the book of Exodus. And Exodus begins with telling us that the Israelites in Egypt are increasing in number. They are becoming exceedingly fruitful. In fact, the text says that they are filling the land. And so this is over many, many years. And by the time that the story picks up, it says that Pharaoh, who did not know who Joseph was at this time, Joseph is far removed. Pharaoh gets a little bit freaked out. By all of these Israelites, they're growing in number, in number, and they're getting a larger population of them. And he thinks, my goodness, if these, if these people ever team up with our enemies, we're in a lot of trouble. And so Pharaoh puts them to slavery. 
he forces them to become slaves. And then as the book progresses, they've got this guy, Moses, he gets born and, and he, gets, he gets a little boat ride down the river and he gets rescued. And then uh, he grows up in the Egyptian household and then he, he kills an Egyptian. And then he thinks, well, he better run because Pharaoh is going to is come hunting him down. And so he leaves. And for years, he's a shepherd. And then he has this encounter with God. He has this encounter with the living God at the burning bush. And in that moment, God gives him his marching orders. He says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm going to set them free. You are going to lead them out of Egypt. You are going to be my mouthpiece. You are going to manifest my splendor before Pharaoh. You will lead my people out. But Pharaoh has a different idea. He's not going to go let this this happen easily. In fact, he's going to fight it tooth and nail every step of the way, but that's all part of God's plan. And so there's this interaction with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, and then there's the, the 10 plagues that come up, and then the last one, the last plague, is the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And Pharaoh finally relents. And he's going to free the Israelites who have been enslaved for generations after generation. And they leave. The story tells us that they plundered Egypt on their way out, which I think is just really cool anyway. But anyway and, and so they leave. And then Pharaoh has a change of heart again. And he goes after them. But then God separates the Red Sea. And the Israelites walk through the Red Sea. And then as Pharaoh's army is in hot pursuit, they come into the Red Sea and the waters close over them and the entire army is destroyed. And then Moses and Miriam, they sing this song at the end of that part of the story. The song in praise to what God has done. So his people, once they were slaves, they were oppressed forced into slavery just because of who they were and just because their population was growing. Hundreds of years, generation after generation, they were crying out to God and God heard their cry and he was going to act. And now, freedom. The Exodus story. The promise that God gave to Abraham that I'm going to make you into a great nation, is coming to fruition. But as these people have left Egypt, they find themselves in the wilderness. And they begin to have a little change in tone. They begin to to have a little bit of a change in heart. In fact, they kind of get downright crabby. And they begin to complain. We'll pick up the story In Exodus chapter 17, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, which is right outside of Las Vegas, traveling from a place as the Lord commanded. They camped near the sand Sahara, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us 
up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the, pl- called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? By the time we get to chapter 17 in Exodus, God has already supplied for them water because they were complaining and grumbling. And then God, they got hungry, and so they start to complain. They want some food, so God sends them manna from heaven, this bread-like stuff. And then they don't like that after a while. They get tired of just eating this bread, and so they complain. We sat around pots of meat in Egypt. And so God says, oh, you want meat? All right, I'll give you meat. And he sends them quail, all the quail that they can eat. So by this time, God has already supplied for their needs as they're walking through the wilderness. And, and so now they complain against Moses. Give us water. And Moses is like, why are you all up in my face? Why are you testing? Why are you testing God? And then they drop the bomb of a question on him. Did you... Did you save us from Egypt so we can come out here and die of thirst? Moses is like, you're going to be kidding me. Generations of slaves being oppressed by, by another people, forced into slavery, now freed by the amazing power of God. You cannot deny what God had, had done for them to get them to this point supplying their needs every step of the way, and they are complaining. Why did you free us just so we would die out here? Maybe, you know, I was thinking about this. Maybe they didn't just think this whole thing through. Maybe they thought they were just going to leave Egypt and, I don't know, they didn't know that they had to walk in the wilderness for a while, at least to get to the land where God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that these people would end up. But they complained. And they're angry and they're ready to throw rocks at Moses. But you know, their story, their story is our story. And in our story is their story. Many people, even in this room, have been freed from some type of oppression, from some type of slavery in your life, enslaved to addictions a slave to bad habits, oppressed by thought patterns or anger or bitterness or fear or whatever. And you've lived there for a real long time. And then God comes along and he sets you free. But you know, even in the dysfunction, even in that oppression, it's very familiar. And it's something that we get used to. Even though it's difficult to live through, we know what's coming. We know what to expect, or we know what not to expect. And sometimes we end up traveling back into those habits, into those thoughts, back to that relationship. And maybe it's not even on a conscious level, but we are moving back to a place of slavery. Freedom 
is, well, it's, you're free. You can do stuff you might not be able to do if you're a slave. And freedom is a very liberating thing. And it's usually forged through process. We enjoy our freedom, but our freedom did not come without a cost. We are a free country because it was forged through a process. But when you face freedom full on, it can be a scary thing. One of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption. Anybody ever see Shawshank Redemption? I love that movie. In that movie, there's this old guy, Brooks, right? And Brooks is in jail his entire life. And then at the end, he, he's, he's getting out of jail. And he doesn't want to go. He's very comfortable being in prison. And so he gets out of jail. And now he's got to try to find his way after being institutionalized for all of these years. And they, and they show scenes of him trying to, trying to bag groceries. And he's getting flustered and he, and he really can't figure it all out. And he's trying to find friends and he's very lonely. And he's enjoying his freedom. Well, at least that's what we think he should be doing. But it comes to the end where he just, it was too much for him to handle. And he hangs himself. He ends his life. The man set free. Because see, sometimes freedom can be a very scary thing. Sometimes to walk in the uncomfortable liberation that God gives us is difficult and it's hard. The Lord will lead us out of our own personal Egypts. But he may lead us to walk right into the wilderness where we now have to trust him and no longer trust just ourselves. And that, my friend, can be a very, very scary place to be. And so we're out there. We've been set free, but maybe God has led us to the wilderness. And it's a bit scary. We don't know what to expect. And we're experiencing all these things and trials and tribulations come at us and hardships come, things that we've never experienced before. And we I mean, maybe not you, but I've heard of other churches. They complain a little bit about the situation that they've been in. And they're a little angered by it. Like, hello, God, is this what you had in mind? Really? Is this what freedom looks like? Is this what blessing looks like? Is this how you show your love to me by allowing me to walk through this thing, this trial, this suffering? And we begin to question God. See, we want resolution. We like comfort. We don't like the smell of poo. We like the smell of roses. And that's what we want our life to be. You can laugh, but it's true. That was rated G. So that was cool, right? Okay. So, and, and, and we want it to end and we want it to end quickly. So we ask, is this, this is set. This is freedom in Christ. Maybe just go back to the old way I lived. At least I knew what to expect. And we walk in this fear of abandonment. That God has just left us alone, just out in the wilderness by ourselves. And we walk in, and sometimes we get angry with him and with other people. And all we want to do is get back to that place that we were before. See, their story is our story. And our story is their story. 
because we quickly forget everything that God has brought us from. We quickly forget all of the things that he has actually freed us from. In a world of instant gratification, memory seems to be all but forgotten. And so we forget. Many people, many people struggle with oppression, violence, bad relationships, or whatever other slaveries come at us because we are human. And we suffer with those things, and we sometimes attribute our being set free to to good counseling. Sometimes we attribute uh, being set free to our strength of our own will or just the way things have played out. Instead of seeing God work through those things, we like to take the credit ourselves. Look what I did. Look what he did for me. That person, that guy. Instead of remembering the things of God. Moses did lead the people out of Egypt, but it was done in the power of God not on his own strength. It was the Lord's plan and the Lord showing himself strong that led those people out. And by the time they get past the Red Sea, they have already forgotten. And as soon as we end up out in a little bit of the wilderness, as soon as things don't go right for us, as soon as things kind of begin to fall apart and challenge us and press us, we are quick to forget what God has done for us. And we are quick to complain and be angry. I'm in the same boat. I've done it many times before. We forget that God is bringing us to a place of trusting him. You know, even Sunday mornings, our time together here, this should be a time to remember what God has done for us. as as a community, to gather and remember what God has given us. A time to celebrate the story of the Exodus. A time to celebrate the story of our own personal Exodus. Where God has brought you from and where you are today. This is what we should be sharing with people. This is the story that we should be living out there in the world and celebrating that and remembering that. We come together in joy. Say, look, what, look, at, look at the redeemed. Look at the saints. People that are, that are moving from, from death to life. But we forget. We complain. We get angry. Because life isn't easy. Let's face it. And there, the wilderness seems to be all around us. But maybe... Just maybe, we can look at struggle and hardship a little differently. Maybe instead of testing God and complaining to God, we could find peace and hope in those struggles. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last week, we looked at the idea of faith. We asked the question, is our faith moving us to action? Is our faith causing us to live our lives the way Jesus has called us to live our life? And now here, Paul will continue to talk about, he didn't talk about it last week, but he is talking about faith and what faith does for us, what it means to us that we have been justified before God. Faith in Jesus Christ justifies you before God. We have been declared innocent before God. Innocent of the guilt that your sin has brought upon you because of Jesus Christ. You are not guilty. You are not guilty. And this creates for us, this moment in time of justification, creates for us a permanent status. You have been acquitted, not guilty. Your sin is not held against you because of faith in Christ. But there's other implications of our faith. Paul will go on and says that you are now at peace with God. You are now in a right relationship. You have been reconciled back to him. You have shalom because of faith in Christ. And so there's justification and there's reconciliation and there's peace with God. And because of this Jesus Christ and because of our faith, we can stand in grace. The grace of God is poured out upon us. The, the word grace in this text means, it means joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, favor. This is how God sees you. This is how God pictures you. This is how God feels about you in his heart. He has joy over you. You are favored. And we've talked about this again and again. And it's a sad story that many Christ followers do not believe that and do not walk in that grace that God pours out upon us. We always think, they always think that God is angry with you and that he can never forgive that thing. Maybe all of the other things, but not that one thing that you have been holding on to. It's a lie and it's not true. God pours out his grace on us, not because we deserve it, because of Jesus Christ. Hear me when I tell you this. For those who put their faith in Jesus, I mean, put your faith in him. Faith is not just a word to you, but you, are, you have been transformed and you are continually being transformed by your faith. God is not angry with you. God is not disappointed in you. 
You are his favored son. You are his favored daughter. This is the grace of God. And then Paul could go on and say, we have this hope in God's glory. You see, there's this future thing that we're going to possess. That's the glory of God. Our salvation, in a sense, is not fully realized here on earth, but there's something coming when God will finally restore all things, when heaven crashes into earth, when God will reinstate the glory that Adam lost when he sinned in the garden. And we can, we can stand confident of that promise. And we can boast on God a little bit, brag a little bit, not in an arrogant way, but just in a confident way that these things will they will, they will come to pass. And that we have this future glory. You see, Paul is reminding us of who we are because of Jesus Christ. He's reminding us of, of our status, how we stand in the sight of God. Innocent. Peace. Reconciled in a right relationship today, now, in this moment. And then we have this future eternal glory that will be ours. Revelations talks about a time when there's, there's no more pain, and there's no more tears, and there's no more death. And in fact, we won't even need, it, there, there'll be no more darkness. And we won't need a lamp to light our way. We won't even need the sun anymore because the Lord our God will be our light. This is the future glory that is promised to us and we can stand firm and we can boast in it. This is who we are as Jesus followers. Do you understand that? Are you getting this? Then Paul's going to push things just a little bit farther. He's going to take things to, to a different place. As we walk in peace, as we walk in this blessing, guess what? Life still happens. Jesus followers, we get sick. And sometimes that sickness leads to death. Jesus followers, we have car accidents. And trees fall on our house. Jesus followers lose their jobs and, and get into financial trouble. See, the good and the bad in life still happens to us. We are not immune to it. We live in a broken world and there's brokenness around us. And then, just as Israel did, we begin to question again, God, really? For real? This is your blessing to me? Your child, your chosen? This is how you love me? This is you make me fight with the insurance company for the last three months. This is how you love me. You, you, you let my loved one get sick with this. This is, this is how you love them. We suffer from the same human condition that Israel suffered as they walk through their own wilderness because we too will find ourselves walking through that wilderness, that place of testing that harsh place when things don't go easy in the times of thirst and times of hunger, whether it be emotional, spiritual, or physical. 
And Paul's even going to push this a little bit farther. He says, you know what? The fact that we suffer, the fact that things happen to us, does not negate the fact of God's love for his people and the blessings that he has poured out on us. In fact, our affliction, our suffering, are times that we can also boast. What? Really? You know, I was not, we, I, to tell you a story, so you know that that big old tree fell on our house in that blizzard. I was not boasting. I wasn't like, whoa, insurance money, cha-ching, vacation. No, I was not happy about it. That's just something as little as that. I know some of you have gone through very difficult times. Paul says those times are times that we can boast. So not only do we, do we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord, but we can boast in our affliction and suffering. And I have trouble sometimes getting my head around that. But here's, here's what I think. Here's what I believe. The fact that we go through some hard stuff in our life is proof to me that our enemy is alive and well. We had an enemy that, that tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. They were disobedient. Sin entered the world, and it just ripped the very fabric of everything apart. And now we live in this place of brokenness. And because it continues to be broken until God will once and for all reconcile and restore all things back to the original glory, right now, sin equals suffering. And if we, as Israel did, meet that suffering and affliction with doubt in the goodness of God, if we meet it with doubt in his promises, if we become bitter with him or even bitter with each other, if we allow despair to take us over, we are in danger. We are in danger of being defeated spiritually. And a spiritual defeat will lead to emotional defeat. It will ultimately lead to your physical. But Paul says if we can come at it from a different angle, we can rejoice and boast in our suffering. We come at it in confidence of God's promises. Something different happens. Those hard times will not be wasted. But we will grow in a deeper intimacy with our Creator that we will grow in a deeper spiritual maturity. Glory in suffering, rejoice in suffering, because to do so, it produces perseverance. Jesus never said our life was going to be easy. Jesus never said that following him was going to be easy. In fact, he said just the opposite. You are going to have trouble. People are going to hate you. They're not going to like you. You will have trouble in this world. But there has to be a, I'm not giving up and I'm not going to give in attitude in order for the word of God to produce lasting results in your life in the li- and in the lives of people around you. And suffering, there's a danger in it because it can cause us to doubt and it can cause us to, to pull away from the very one that we have to run towards. 
and it can cause us to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And as we endure, that endurance builds character. To persevere produces character. There is something about a person who goes through something very difficult in their life and and goes through it and suffers through it and comes out at the other end whole. There's something about that person. Yesterday we did a memorial service here for Rosalie Kaiser's mom. She died at 97 years old. She was born in 1913. She was uh, an Italian woman who married a um, Hungarian, I believe it was a Hungarian Jew in World War II. And they, they had to leave the country. They had to flee. He was almost taken off a train by the Gestapo. She thought she had lost him until the next stop when he was hiding in the bathroom and he came out. And this woman had lived this amazing life. And as I heard these stories of, of how she lived and how they had to go to England and then move from England to Scotland and how they got sponsored to come here to the United States and how he was, was, a, was a man that, looked, that had prestige in Europe, but he comes here and he has to start by washing dishes so he can make ends meet. And I looked in the face of this woman because they had pictures of her and there's just something about her. But she went through these very difficult times. There was a character. And the stories that were told about her were just stories of love, respect. What a strong woman she was. And sometimes we see this character in, in, uh, in young kids who, who have some type of disease, who go through a, a terminal disease or, or you know, cancer or something. And for whatever reason, young children have this resolve in them. And even a resolve to the point where adults take notice. And we're like, it's amazing how they can keep that attitude. You see, moving, moving through hard times in our lives and, and, not, and not giving up on yourself and not giving up on God, and it, it changes a person. It changes you. I think it changes even something so deep. I don't even, it could be even our DNA is changed. And when you're around, when you're around that person, you can sense it. You can feel it. I saw pictures of a woman yesterday. and I could just see it in her face. Something was different about her. And so perseverance leads to character. And this is the character that Paul is talking about. And that character, that, that, that thing that changes in us, brings us to a place of hope, of confidence in the promises of God, in confidence that he has not left us, he has not forsaken us, but he journeys with us through the good times and through the bad times. And the, for the very reason that he loves us so very much. And he pours this love right into our spirit.
the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our hope, the foundation of our salvation is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the love of God made manifest in the flesh for his people. We have hope in that. We can be assured in that. So as we continue to move through Lent, this time of spiritual renewal for many of us, I would hope for all of us somehow that God is doing some work in you. That God is just like, he's tugging, he's pulling, and he's carving, and he's, he's melting, and he's whatever he needs to do in each one of your heart. That you would take this time very seriously. But, but, but here we see we are going to walk through the wilderness. It's where there's no way to escape it. But those hard times do not define who you are. Those hard times do not define your relationship with God. And I want to encourage you that during those times, because they will come, and maybe some of you are going through them right now, during those times you would remember who you are in Christ. You have been justified, found innocent. You've been forgiven. You are at peace with your creator. You've been reconciled back to him. You walk in grace. You walk in the favor of the Lord, your God. Know this. As followers of Christ, we walk in freedom. You should be walking in freedom because freedom is yours. But many times we walk in freedom right through the middle of the wilderness. And hard times are going to come and hard times are going to go. That's the reality of life. But as the Lord said in Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts as Israel did in the desert when they complained and they tested God. But boasts in the glory that is yet to come and boast in the hope that we have because of Jesus. Turn to him for your strength, for your solace. Turn to him and remember the things that he has brought you from. Don't forget. Don't forget the journey that you've been on. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with you always. God, this passage in Romans is a difficult one. To boast in suffering in hard times it's counterintuitive, Lord. But your word tells us to have confidence in you. And so, God, I pray if there are people here this morning that are doubting your word to them, if they are doubting the promises that you have spoken over them, if they are doubting their relationship with you, God, I pray that you would remove all doubt and pour your spirit into their hearts. Let them know that they are loved beyond what they can ever understand and they are loved perfectly 
and begin to pour your peace into them, your joy. And God, if we face if we face things down the road, I pray that we would remember this, this moment, this verse, that we stand justified, that we stand at peace with you, that you love us, and you're, you're, we are your favored children. Let that lift our spirits, lift our heads, throw our shoulders back, and know that we are a child of God. Pray these things. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.